in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Sometimes when we hear such title, the unity of the church according to Saint Cyprian of Carthage, we feel it's something too big and too sophisticated and it's not my topic, despite, of course, we are servants. But I believe it's the core of our belief. Every single thing we do in the church is for this title. I will send it to Johnny, the whole vessel of Saint, uh, homily of Saint uh, Cyprian, and he will send it to everyone. It's just 11 pages. What I would like to share with you today, just a few points to see, are we serving in the same direction that the church wants us to serve or not? Again, not to condemn ourselves, but to redirect ourselves and to recorrect our understanding and belief of the meaning of the church and why we are doing it in such a way. Every single homily in the early church has a reason behind it. So let me explain to you in a minute why Saint Cyprian was very concerned about the unity of the church. The story starts at the middle of the third century where many people renounced their faith because of the persecution. Then the Bishop of Rome died and there was another bishop who was going to be ordained. His name is Cornelius. But one of the priests of Rome was against him. His name is Novatian. He said, because this bishop accepted those Christians who renounced their faith, and now they came once more to Christianity, then he is not a good person to be the pope or the bishop of Rome. And then he asked another three bishops to come and to ordain him as a bishop. And then he started to revolt against the church, and he made a list. Certain sins, if you will do it, you have no place in the church. If you worship an idol for a single day, you have no place in the church. If you commit adultery or fornication, and another list, that you are not going to be back accepted at all by the church. So Saint Cyprian was writing against him to tell him the unity of the church is based on one thing, repentance and Eucharistic unity. If you are going to be reunited and the Lord still opening his arms, welcoming everyone, whoever is, then the church is still in this unity. Anyone is against this unity is not part of the church. This is the background of why he wrote many homilies, especially his homily, homily number 46, and the title was On the Unity of the Church. We'll take it step by step and again, to reflect on our life. Now we are not talking about Novatian or Cyprian. We are talking about we as a church, as servants, how and why is it so important to have this unity of the church. So the base of St. Cyprian is what the church, our Coptic church, is teaching us we need to pray every morning. It's Ephesians chapter 4, and from verse 1 to 4. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loyalness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's a request, it's a commandment, and it's a prayer for the whole church. Each and every one of us is praying it every morning. Why? There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all 
and a new order. So what St. Cyprian was presenting is a biblical message. So it's very important for this unity is enriched by Christ himself, taught by all the apostles, and now it's time to defend it in your small family, in your church, wherever you go. But to start with, he's still telling us what is the church, how we can found a church to seek the unity in it. So he's telling us the church is founded upon the bishop, established upon the clergy, and all those who stand fast in the faith. Of course, he is not ignoring Christ. But in this statement, you'll find all the references in each epistle, or each homily. But Christ is the core. Christ is the connector. The, the church is Christ-centered. But at the same time, how we can establish a church? It's through the bishop, the clergy, and every person in the church. That's why when we speak about unity, it's the unity between the three of them and within the whole global meaning of the church. We'll take it one by one to see why is it important. It's not a matter of being good or nice or being in the will of God and accepting his prayer uh, when the Lord prayed for us on John chapter 17. It's more than that. So first of all, he is telling us the church is Trinitarian. What does it mean? I think we discussed this in detail in our last retreat, but let me explain it in a minute. He's telling us to break the peace and the concord of Christ in the church is to try to break the unity of the divine trinity itself. How? How you can connect the trinity with what you are saying now, that the church, when we are not keen on this oneness, we are breaking the trinity itself. If from the beginning we believe that God has created man and his church, the bride, in his image and likeness, and now I'm the one who is making a division, whether it was Novatian at that time, or whoever is Arius later, or Nestorius, or any of those heretics, he's telling us now you are dividing the Trinity himself. You are against God himself. You are distorting the image of God himself. So. At the beginning, when we think of the unity, the core of our unity is, as we read it in Ephesians 4, is one God, the Father, through whom all and all are connected together. So now when I speak about a division in my family, or the small group that I'm serving with, or whatever division you think of, do you see how dangerous it is that I am breaking the unity, or thinking that I can break the unity of the image of the Trinity in me and in my family and people around me. Sometimes it's very hard and harsh because I have a problem in my house, in my family. Or I have a problem with the one I'm serving with, or whoever is, is telling me and you now, is it a time to repent? Is it a time to surrender, to show more humility? Or you are going to insist on whatever you think of? So when he is telling us the church is Trinitarian in its nature, it means all of us, we have some people has high ranks and some people are very simple ranks in the church, but still all are equal. Some people are leading and some people are led, but still all are equal. Why? Because this is the Trinitarian image. The Father is not higher than the Son, and the Son is not less than the Holy Spirit because he was taking our flesh and he was humiliated on the cross. The equality doesn't show that someone is doing something higher than the other, but all are equal, co-essential with each other. That's why at the beginning, if I am serving 
Do you see yourself equal to everyone and everyone is equal to you? Or you feel that you are higher than them because you know more? You sing better or whatever you have talent, been talented by the Lord himself. So at the very beginning, he is telling us the church in its nature is Trinitarian. And anything can corrupt this image of, Trinity, of the Trinity is very dangerous for you personally and for the whole body of Christ. Then he is adding, because it's Trinitarian, we need to be connected with the Holy Trinity. How? It's through the means of grace, mainly the sacraments. So he was telling us, the unity of the church comes from the divine strength and coheres in celestial sacraments. The sacraments are the bond between each one of us. Every one of you and everyone in the church in the whole world was born to be a living member in the body when we were baptized. Everyone is reconciled with the whole body when I confess and repent. Everyone is reunited with the body once more when I have the communion. So when we say that the church is sacramental and this is the core of its unity, that's why if you imagine that the church is telling us the anaphora, the liturgy of the faithful starts with the holy kiss. And the holy kiss is one of the oldest rituals in every single church in the world. Why? Because without it, I cannot be in unity with the other members. Without it, I can't understand, uh, uh, start the liturgy because I need to be in bond with each and every member. I need to be reconciled with everyone. Again, we are not talking about the church in the third century or the church even in the 21st century. It's about you and your family and your small group that you serve with them in your local church. And then we can look outside of that. But at the beginning, it's my personal calling. Do I see every sacrament is bonding me with each and every one or not? Then he's telling us because it's based on a personal relationship, based on being in person in the image and likeness of the Holy Trinity, being in person, bonding myself with the whole body in the sacraments, then repentance is the beginning. When I was telling us a few months ago, we need this time of this fast to be a time of revival. The revival never starts as a communal prayer. It always starts as a personal revival. And one person in the family, then the whole family, and then the whole church. But if we think that the church is going to feed us with great sermons that we are all going to be repenting. Yes, the church is doing it, but still it's very personal. We'll see it in a moment in one of his paragraphs very soon. So he's continuing, whoever does not hold this unity, the sacramental unity, does not hold God's law, does not hold the faith of the Father and of the Son, and does not hold life and salvation. As Abuna was telling us, we are going to study next four weeks on the incarnation. So it's not about a mental knowledge. It's about a reality that because he took flesh to unite us all, to give us his body on the altar to unite us in each occasion, in each celebration. The church, when we celebrate, we have a liturgy. Then I'm still disconnected from each one in the church, from my family members, and still the hatred is killing me and I feel it's normal. I'm a human being. He's telling us from now on, you are called for a higher calling. Forgiveness will be your own new attitude. Your surrender and humility and repentance will be your new direction. 
So when he is talking about sacramental unity and telling us without it we have no life and we have no salvation, then the key is the personal repentance. He's telling us when once you have departed this life, there is no longer any place for repentance. No way of making satisfaction. Here life is either lost or kept. So don't take it lightly. When again told us about the coming weekend, sometimes we, are feel, we feel it's normal. Everyone is struggling, yes, but are you looking for a victorious life or you feel you will remain as you are? You can say, I have tried for years to get out of this addiction or struggle, but I feel I'm not bad. Yeah, I struggle every few weeks or every week once or twice. It's your standards, but his standard is different. That holiness without which no one can see the Lord is giving us a hope and a reality of real freedom for each and every one of us and for you in person. This, this freedom is not for St. Anthony and those great saints in our icons, but for every believer in the church. When St. Paul tells us in Romans 6.14 that sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? Because you are under the grace. You are not under the law. Then he is continuing. To him who still remains in this world, there is no repentance that is too late. Never say, don't say I'm too old, or I'm too, it's too late for me, or I'm now accommodating my life with this sin, whatever sin it is. So if we seek real unity, you feel that your life at home with your wife, your husband, your kids became impossible, then repentance is the key. Start with your own personal repentance. Don't say, if my husband will repent, or my mother, or my father, start with your personal repentance, and you will see really miracles. That's why he is telling us, to him who still remains in this world, there is no repentance that is too late. So please start. When I was encouraging us to go and to confess, it's very hard to the heart of any servant in the church to see the servants are not keen on their own repentance and confession. We can tell our kids, go and confess, but I'm not going to do it. That's why our words for them are very weak. Even not pushing them to do something in reality, because I am not convinced, or at least I'm not living what I am telling them. So if we repent, we are going towards this line of unity. And if you imagine the only concern four times in the prayer of the Lord in John chapter 17, you say that they may be one. Why are you here? That they may be one. As I am one with you. Imagine this is our calling as a church, as a small family, as a small group serving the Lord, to be in oneness as the Father has this oneness with the Son. And he was praying before the Lord, before the Father, in his last few hours before going into death for our own salvation, to say, this is my heart desire for each and every one of you. Then we find the real unity in the Eucharist. In his homily on prayer, Christ is the bread of those who are in union with his body. And we ask that this bread should be given to us daily, that we who are in Christ and daily receive the Eucharist for the food of salvation. So you receive it as a food of salvation for your unity. At the very end of the liturgy, just after the descent of the Holy Spirit, Abuna is praying that we may be one. 
one spirit, one heart, one mind. Why? That we may share in the inheritance of all the saints. But if I reject this oneness, you accept to not to share in the inheritance of those saints? Or you believe it's enough? I just have the communion and I feel good with myself. He's telling me, you need to be in oneness to share in the inheritance of the saints. So he's continuing, but some people will reject, not communicating from the partaking of the heavenly bread, be separated from Christ's body. We who abide and live in Christ may not depart from his sanctification and body. So he's telling you again, each week you come to church and have the communion once or twice or maybe more. But do you see it as a sign, as a tool, and as means to engage me in this oneness of the body or not yet? When we speak about it, without it, we are weak. You, are, you by your own and me alone are very weak. But if I'm living in this real unity, it's totally different. Now it's the power of the body of Christ. The head is leading the body victoriously, as St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.14. But if I am alone, I am defeated. Ask yourself <clears throat> why you were defeated yesterday and the day before and many times in your life. Because once you disconnect yourself from the body, in reality, it's not about what you profess in front of people or what you sing as a deacon or as a servant or whoever you are, but what you confess with your heart. If I'm in this body, this body is always victorious and will never be defeated. That's why when he's telling us that the Eucharistic power is for you, not for anyone else. Then he is continuing. If you are living a life of repentance and uniting yourself with the unity of the church, it doesn't matter how many times you renounced Christ before. He was talking to those rejecting those who lapsed. Now, if even you lapsed and you renounce the Lord, it's time to come back. If you live this sinful life pretending that you are serving the Lord or you are a deacon or whatever rank you have in the church, it's time to tell yourself, I'm coming back to him. Then your lifestyle will be changed. He's telling us in the same homily, harmony, concord, and charity will be your normal lifestyle. He's saying harmony is a fundamental characteristic of the church. This, this is harmony, concord, and simplicity between flock and shepherd, and also between the people of God who dwell in one mind and one heart in the house of God. One of the important means of unity of the church is charity. Charity, according to St. Sabian, is solidarity, a recapitulation of the divine mystery of the Holy Trinity. Are you in harmony with your sister, brother, who is serving with you? Or sometimes I, am, I can't communicate with him. I am serving as if he is not here. I'm ignoring him totally or ignoring her totally. He's telling us if you live this unity, such harmony and concord will be your new lifestyle. Yes, sometimes you need to put more effort. Sometimes you feel it's very hard. Sometimes you are, have been put off by the other person because you tried many times but never give up. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it is painful. But he is telling us it's time to seek harmony, concord, and charity. Then he is telling us once more, because you know that Christ 
at the very end of the Eucharist. He was telling in one of his homilies, but not this one, he said, whenever you go to the Eucharist, you see Christ breaking his body and shedding his blood. Yes. At this moment on the cross, he was able to forgive those who were crucifying him. He released forgiveness to those who were shouting and screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And he's telling you and me, it's a time of unity. With your enemies, those who were saying, crucify him, those who were lying and accusing you falsely, it's time to unite yourself with them. He's not lifting us very high, but he is telling us, because I have done it, I was not in need to do it. I have done it for your sake, to enable this fallen nature to be able to release forgiveness for those who are opposing us, for those who are accusing us falsely. That's why he is saying the church is profoundly Christological, one Christ, one church, one divine unity under the authority of the one Lord. Nobody and nothing can separate the church the people who faithfully believed in what they received from Christ. To break the church's unity is to violate Christ's love for his church. So again, we have two minds, in, or two opposite opinions. Yes, the world looks nice, but I can't make it. It's not for me. And he's telling us, the unity of the church is based on his divine power in you and in me, not based on your your ability is nil, and even maybe negative. But his ability in you and in me is the key for it. That's why he was fighting. The guy who called Novatian was excommunicated. Even he mentioned him later. He was martyred because of his belief. I said, even if you are a martyr and outside the church, you are not accepted. This is, we'll leave it for God, but at least he was telling him, even if you want to be a martyr, be martyr in the church, not outside the church. That's why the Christological unity means we are in reality empowered by the power of Christ. That's why your ministry will be different. The way I read the word of God will be different. The way I'm going to fast is totally different. Why? Because I am enriching myself with the fullness of the power of Christ. Then we have a problem. I can't obey everything in the church. Some things in the church, I feel it's not reasonable for me. Some of the teachings or some of the instructions, I feel it's not appropriate for me. And then he's telling us it's time to see the mutual obedience and love. Yes, we have leaders and we have their own vision, which sometimes is different from my vision. But am I going to be obedient or not? He's telling them to obey the great commandments of Jesus, the love of, for God and for neighbor, means to be in the unity of the body of Christ. There is no unity without mutual obedience and love. Ask yourself about obedience in your family. How many times we mocked our parents? How many times we dishonored them, even in our minds? But for a reason or other, we try to obey sometimes. Sometimes we lie to them. And I feel this is what I can afford right now. Division in the church comes when people do not seek the source of truth, the head, the Christ, the heavenly master. Why we have divisions in the small family and the small group we serve and in the church? If anyone wants to seek another head, to be the master above the master, or to be the leader above the leader, 
without surrendering to him. That's why it's saying it's harmony, concord, and charity, which leads to oneness in Christ, which is to uh, an obedience or mutual obedience in love. Then he's continuing. But I have my own gifts as a servant in the church. Would you like to use my gifts? Then accept me as I am. He's saying there's a big difference here. Even your ability, your qualities, is good to be used in the church. But you can't use them the way you want. Why? He's adding at the very end, the quality of the Christian is given by the communion with the whole body of Christ. It's not given by the personal qualities outside of this communion. What does it mean? Sometimes I think, yes, I know better. I can give lessons better than the other Sunday school teacher. Or I can give lead, leading to the singing or Coptic hymns better than anyone else. It's, would you like to make it within the body? In a mutual obedience in love? Or you want to make it the way you want? The church father used to say that salvation is always, and this is one of the key words for sensibly, no salvation outside the church, and whoever rejecting God as a father cannot enjoy the church as a mother and vice versa. But he was telling us, yes, you are going to the best church who believe in the right faith, but still is a personal quality. You need to work out your own salvation in person. But this working out should be within the church. So that's why one of the contemporary fathers said salvation is a personal act within the community of God. Again, Salvation is a personal act within the community. You can't have it outside of the community of God. That's why he's insisting personal qualities should be inside the communion. So how you are going to integrate in your small family, in the small ministry you have, and in the big church understanding of this unity. Because sometimes, as Abuna was saying, we call for a certain ministry, and some people are hesitant to come. Some people feel that it's not me, He's telling me, do you have the same heart of Christ? Do you see the reality of the battle we are facing as a church, as a community, as even human beings? Or I'm just ignoring. Maybe you are victorious now. Maybe you are not aware of who is struggling, this struggle in your family or in the class you are teaching. But still, he's telling us it's time that everyone has to be a real watchman to observe himself and to protect himself from a future fire. When I was said, it's a real war, yes. And part of this war, we need to pray for our protection before we start the war, to protect our backs, because sometimes the devil is coming and attacking us from our backs while we are preparing ourselves to rage this war against him. Then he said, one of the things that we think of it, but sometimes we feel that people, leaders, are not connected together. And hear what he's telling us. The leaders should be connected in one way. There's no other way. He's saying the whole body of bishops are in communion when they teach and initiate actions in the church of Christ. And this is the way in which they remain firmly in the unity and charity of the Catholic Church. They are cemented together in one condition. In the same life, and teaching. If we all leading the same life and same teaching, we are cemented together. If someone 
rejected the life of the church or part of it, or the teaching of the church or part of it, his cement became very wobbly, and he is not cemented enough. That's why he's adding as it, all other bishops, if someone is feeling away, a priest or a bishop, as had happened in the church history many times, all other bishops would step in to help him to stay in the communion of the church, the place of salvation once more. We see sometimes each other, someone is running too far from the Lord, even he's still serving, or she or he is doing something, couldn't be in a Christian manner at all. But I'm not going to judge anyone. We are not telling you to judge anyone, but you are in a position to be a watchman for your brother, your sister, and everyone around you. So please, it's a time when we think of the unity of the church, we think of our responsibility towards every single person in the body, every single person we serve or we even serve by, because it's an eye-opening to see myself re-owning the heart of Christ to care about each and everyone in the church. Then we are having a problem. with the core. What is the, who can define what is the truth? And people think, here is the right opinion. Some other people said, no, this is not right, this is the right opinion. So he's telling them, real authority is not an arbitrary exercise of power since it's generated by truth. And the truth is a person. It's Christ himself. And you need to encounter a real encounter with him every day and the whole day. Why is it not an end in itself, but a means to achieve freedom? If we are living and believing we are living the truth, and we are under the bondage of sin, under bondage of many other things in our life, it's saying me and you, there's something wrong. You are not bonding with the real body of Christ. You are bonding, or you are still thinking to bond, but maybe in, not in full unity yet. The primal truth in the Christian faith, the church, is Jesus Christ who brings about liberation and who is the source of all ecclesial authority. So the authority is the authority of Christ himself. That's why St. John Christophe in his book on the priesthood, he was telling us the authority of any clergy based on, yes, he is going to officiate all sacraments, but the spiritual authority itself based on his own personal sanctification. We, can, we can't look in the eyes of Bob Carlos, the late. Why? Because there is a personal sanctification. He has an authority. When the Lord himself was talking, he said, you, are no, you know the same knowledge maybe like the Pharisees, and a little bit more, <clears throat> but you are talking with <clears throat> an authority. The authority of the holiness of, of the most holy one, the Son of God. Then this is what we pray in each liturgy. Make us all worthy. We pray it, but we can't see it as so essential in our life. As we pray every morning in the first hour, the Ephesians chapter 4, but we feel, yes, we need to be one faith, one God, one Lord, one baptism, but not with everyone. This is our prayer immediately after the descent of the Holy Spirit. It's telling me and you it's time to know what are you going to do. St. John Chrysostom has a very famous homily. We read it in the church on the Great Thursday. He tells us, do you know what are you going to do now? You're approaching the table. 
in which Christ is offering his life. Why? That we may become one body, one spirit, and may have shared an inheritance with all the saints. Remember that when you rejected, you are not having this inheritance. You are denying the power and denying this inheritance. Let me finish with you with the words of Saint Cyprian once more. O blessed church of ours, this is your church and my church, which the honor of the divine condensation eliminates, which in our own times the glorious blood of martyrs renders, she was white before in the work of the brethren, and now she has become purple in the blood of the martyrs. This is our church. Yes, we are proud that we are the church of martyrs, but those martyrs were living in this unity. And they are calling each and every one of us to enjoy the same unity. Again, unity in the church is not an option. You can do it if you want it. It's an obligation. And either I am united with this body or I am not in the body. And salvation is, in, is within this body and with this body alone. It's encouraging to see the liturgy in a different sense. Attend every time with a new mindset that I am here to bond to receive the power of the whole body, to see myself cemented with each and every believer in harmony, concord, and charity, and to see that I am restoring the image of the Holy Trinity in me, in my family, in my local church. May the glory of Lord Jesus Christ be with you from now and forever and ever.